Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen. It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Squarespace. They help you turn your idea into a new and unique website, and their analytics help you grow in real time. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you sign up, use the offer code CANADALAND. You will get 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. And this episode is brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh sends delicious new recipes right to your door, and the freshest ingredients all measured out. Get 50% off of your first box at hellofresh.ca slash CANADALAND, and use the promo code CANADALAND. Back when I lived in Montreal, my apartment was down the road from the hotel where all of the comedians would stay each summer during the Just for Laughs festival. I used to crash the party. I would loiter around the hotel bar eavesdropping on a conversation between John Cleese, Elaine Boozler, and the late Patrice O'Neill. I would strike up a conversation with Bobcat Goldthwaite to see if he actually talks that way. Uh, he doesn't. And I'd feel sorry for Polly Shore sitting alone nursing a drink, waiting for some other comedian to come talk to him. Nobody ever did. For a comedy geek, this was heaven. And they came to me. Montreal was my town, my turf, and they all flocked to it. It made you feel like you actually mattered. When I told the cartoonist, Bill Plimpton, that I was a local, his eyes lit up. He seemed impressed. And then he asked me, 
So where are the strip clubs at? That's when it hit me. When the festival comes to town, don't kid yourself. It's not about you. Hosting culture, it's not the same as having culture. I mean, Montreal is not a power player in the comedy world. It's just a fun town for an industry conference. Here in Toronto, we are currently inundated with celebrities. We're lousy with them. Traffic is a nightmare, more so than usual. Restaurants, impossible to get into. Public streets are cordoned off. B-lister bodyguards who think that they're in the Secret Service or something actually act as if they have the authority to block you from walking down the street where you work. TIFF is a major imposition on the life of this city. The downtown part of the city, anyhow. And we accept it. We even welcome it. Because for 10 days, every September, we become the center of the universe. Hollywood North. The stars come to us. Guys, the Toronto International Film Festival, their lightbox theater, their condo tower with its restaurants, their charity, the whole deal, it has become such an institution here, so central to our conception of ourselves as a world-class city, that it's rare to hear anyone question whether or not it's actually a good thing. I mean, it's not rare to hear complaints. People complain about TIFF all the time. They complain about how big the festival has become, how expensive, how long the lineups, the price of everything. Nobody has any problem complaining. But to question the worth of TIFF itself, that is a question that has felt, I don't know, apostate, unpatriotic even. Few have dared. Until recently. Something has shifted since TIFF's founder, Piers Handling, stepped down and suddenly there is a bit of clear-eyed scrutiny. Here is friend of Canada Land, John Semley, questioning in the Globe why cinema in Toronto has come to be defined by TIFF's agenda. We treat its CEOs and programming staff like local celebrities. We're expected to applaud their founders during pre-film bumpers, like dutiful apostles sat slumped in the Cathedral of Cinema. And again, that ran in the Globe, a paper which, like... All of our newspapers dedicates article after article to TIFF, creates a whole temporary digital section just to write about TIFF, puts staffers on the TIFF beat. But now the Globe is among those willing to ask questions about TIFF and its management. And here's Callum Marsh writing in the National Post that TIFF has a distinctly rarefied air. It's a niche activity comparable not to any old soda and popcorn blockbuster matinee, but to more esoteric pursuits. It's like an evening of theater or a night of the ballet. It's costly, festive, and decidedly highbrow. People don't so much pay to see any one specific film. They go to TIFF. In the same way one might go to the opera. Doesn't matter much to the fly-by-night opera patron whether it happens to be Carmen or La Boheme. It's a special occasion. The content matters less than the nature of the event. So the swords are out. But... TIFF still has its true believers, and I don't know, my guest today might just be one of them. I'm actually not sure where he stands. Now Magazine's senior film writer, Norm Wilner, has been covering TIFF for 30 years. Norm also hosts his own podcast, by the way. It's called Somebody Else's Movie. And right now, in the midst of festival mania, in between marathon film screenings, he stopped by our studio to talk with me about this festival. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Michael Henry, Kendra Hibbert, Mary Lee, 
Paul Romanuk, Pierre Carrier, Peter Dorfman, Ellen Roseman, and Georgia Weber. Georgia, why did you decide to be awesome? Because Canada, however you define it, culturally, politically, legislatively, has a distinct identity that only gets eclipsed if we let it. So making Canada-specific content is crucial for us to be able to recognize ourselves, to be responsible and accountable for ourselves, and to celebrate ourselves. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why, for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated, and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. And this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Are you ready to start your new business? Make it stand out with Squarespace. They have beautiful templates created by world-class designers. They make it easy to turn your idea into a new and unique website. You can showcase your work, blog, you can publish content, you can sell products and services of all kinds. It just takes a few clicks. Customize everything from look and feel to settings and products and use Squarespace's analytics to help you grow in real time. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. And with over 200 extensions to choose from, Squarespace offers a new way to buy domains. Best of all, there is nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. People, A dream is just a great idea that doesn't have a website yet. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code CanadaLand. You'll get 10% off of your first website or domain. That is squarespace.com, offer code CanadaLand. Finally, this episode is brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Uh, I can tell you that it does all of those things, and I think it's just brilliant, this new kind of service that's out there that just solves a really big problem. It just turns like four chores into one chore and makes it not so much a chore because you really want to be cooking fresh and delicious recipes for yourself and for your loved ones, but you don't necessarily want to be faced with the stress of meal planning, Uh, standing there in the supermarket as the lines get bigger and bigger, thinking, what am I going to make tonight? And then shopping haphazardly, buying too much of one thing, not enough of another, having to throw out things. It's just all of that. They send a box to your house. They've done the thinking for you. They've planned great, tasty recipes, and they've given you quick step-by-step instructions on how to cook those things. It's actually really fun. And it gets you out of like a cooking rut. They use fresh, locally sourced ingredients. If this sounds appealing, why not order a box and see if it's for you? You'll get 50% off of your first one at hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand, promo code CanadaLand. So do you like TIFF? As an experience, basically it's the same answer that I would give anybody who asks me if I like being a film critic. When the movies are good, it's the best feeling. When the movies are bad, it's an endurance test from hell. The festival itself, I mean, yeah. Uh, I get the opportunity to see films I wouldn't see, films that aren't going to open, things that no one else will see in this city until they surface on iTunes maybe three years from now when a distribution deal gets done. There's a lot of small movies that are still playing here. 
And for that alone, yeah, I, I do like it. Plus, yesterday I bumped into Vim Vendors, which is always nice. Right. My limited film festival experience confirms kind of what you're saying, where when it was good, there was no better place to see a movie. Yeah. You know, and there was an excitement in the room and you, the feeling that you're seeing it for the first time. But that was rare. It is rare. And, and that's because not every movie makes you feel that good. Yeah. I and mean, it really does come down to to the cinema, not the movie theater, but the movie that you're seeing. Um, there will be people talking, I think, 10 years from now about being at the Elgin when The Shape of Water played and the scene in the Elgin first started. People went crazy. Right. Uh, just because they like seeing themselves reflected back that way. But also the movie's really good. So you're on its side. I mean, I've seen plenty of bad movies. I just saw maybe the worst one yesterday uh, and it's opening in three weeks and it, everybody then will know that it sucks. I right. can, I've already reviewed it. It was The so, Mountain Between Us, which is just <laughs> god awful. You've got a three week jump on knowing that it's a piece of shit. Yeah. All right. Well, let's not talk about movies. Um, but that's all I do. I know. And, and today, rather than ask you to be a film critic, I want you to be a film festival critic. Okay. Bring it. What is up with TIFF? It feels like something is changing in people's perception of it. People have always complained about TIFF. Sure, yeah. But I'm an outsider to it. I I, I really, as a Torontonian, kind of avoid it because it, it just presents logistical headaches for me. Yeah, well, it is a streetcar diversion for uh, four days now that will, or five days that no one forgives, myself yeah. included. And it just makes a mess of the downtown, like the entertainment district, ever since they moved it south for the light box. And that would have been, what, in 2010? Help me understand this thing, though. What is it even? Who is it for? Oh, God knows. I don't know. It's a machine. It's a monster that's eating itself and cinema and people. I've been trying to figure this out, actually, because I've been reading the coverage and trying to keep up with it while I'm also watching five movies a day. I have no sense of perspective. I'm completely inside. All I know is that organizationally this year, it's been messier. Part of that is that they've made it smaller. And as a result, people are complaining that it's too small and too cramped because last year everybody said, oh, TIFF is too big. So this year the reaction is, well, we made it smaller. We reduced the calendar by 20%. Shouldn't that make it better run and more organized and more concentrated? Well, in theory, yes. But the biggest problem with the festival is that when you confine it to a handful of venues and they're all really close to each other, you have a huge, you know, you have... Picture an ant colony. You're just moving back and forth through the same three things, and you're running into the fact that there are 10,000 people also moving back and forth as well as you. The Scotiabank is a great theater for seeing movies in, but getting into the theaters, getting into the auditorium yeah. is a nightmare because there's one entrance, one exit. The escalators, I mean, they work this year, which is great. But you're fighting, it's like a salmon swimming upstream against all the other salmon who are going, no, 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 I'm coming out. I've just seen my movie. There is a compression of audience when they can't go to other theaters, when there are no other venues to go to. They all end up at the Scotiabank. And in, in the mornings, that's, the pre that's where they hold the press screening. So not only is there a constant flow of people coming into a theater yeah. through one door to 14 screens. Right. The times aren't, aren't staggered in such a way to allow those people to flow in and out. And people show up early because they're afraid they won't get in because press screenings are first come, first served, except for priority, which is still first come, first served, just favoring priority. It's Isn't it all about priorities and elites and elites upon elites? and Not at the press and industry screenings, no. And this is press um, and industry, so is like, is, are you going to run into Vim vendors in the lineup to this, or is this uh, just a well, fellow? No, no Vim, is, Vim is priority. But yeah, I'm describing, and this is the other problem, I'm describing the press and industry side of the festival because we don't go to the public screenings as a rule. 
the since the mid 90s, I want to say 96, 97, we've had our own timetable. We've had our own schedule as press and industry. You members. basically go to your own separate festival. You've right. Got, right. No speeches, no screening uh, is preceded by the, the directors of the actors, no Q&As. Uh, we don't even see, thank Christ, we don't even see the five minute reel of advertising at the beginning of most movies because they realized that just kept people in the theater too long. It's better to roll them through. OK, so this is what I'm curious about, because. What you're describing is an industry conference. Yes, yeah, where like you know the industry and the press that covers that industry convene to shop wares around, review each other's products. Right. Well, in Cannes, they have market screenings, which are specific right. for that purpose. And the question, I think, or one of the questions, is whether or not those purposes, the industry's purposes, have completely eclipsed TIFF as a public good. And that would lead us to the question of like, well, then why do we allow it to completely like, you know, you would put that in a convention center and forget about it. Like, right. why, why should the rest of us divert our streetcars? And I mean, you bring up this question that people complain that the festival is too big. People have been complaining for a lot of years. I understand the festival is too big, but sure. it was only when Variety complained. <laughs> Tiff well, actually, Cameron Bailey, I think, actually said Toronto moviegoers don't care that it's big. I mean, the bigger it is, the more chance of getting into a movie. Uh, he didn't say this, but he said the reason why we're shrinking it is because the industry asked us to shrink it. And I feel like all I hear is complaints from people about the $30 and up tickets, the lineups, the hell of going to see a movie. Part of the value to the Toronto film goer used to be that you were seeing things weeks or months before the theatrical release, but now it's like a, like a, a day or something. Oh, that's not new. There's always one movie that opens the next week. I mean, every right. time. This year, is that it's... becoming more common? Is that no? I don't think so. I mean, I will I will amass reviews uh, at a film festival. I mean, since. I think American Beauty did it in '99. It's not new. It's just now that we're now we're so much more aware of marketing and the streaming craziness of it. Stuff is now like just popping on. Oh well, Netflix absolutely. You know, for purchases and things like that, if they know they're coming, they'll hold the big premiere here. But you know, they did it with Alias Grace as well, which is going to CBC at the end of the month, I think. Yeah, but. Since the mid '90s, I would say TIFF has been the starting gate for the Oscar race for the fall film season, where things get important again. And because we're following Labor Day, that's just natural. You know, Venice has it in the in Europe, and we have it here. In '99, everything changed because we became a target festival. Almost every major Academy Award in the, of the 1999 film year went to a movie that premiered at TIFF: mm-hmm. American Beauty, Cider House Rules, Boys Don't Cry. And ever since then, we have been the place you go to launch your campaign, not just your movie, but your campaign. Right. So you chase the People's Choice Award. Uh, Harvey Weinstein every year will bring two or three movies here uh, that are his, you know, his Oscar calibrated things. This year it was The Current War, and I'm not sure what the other one was. And so we get this glitz and we get this spectacle and the industry courts it. The studios, the distributors, people have huge hopes for their movies here. You know what's weird to me? There's this like... Period in September where I open up the National Post, the Globe and Mail, or or, or read the tweets of a bunch of uh, local journalists, and they're like, oh, so-and-so snagged the international rights to this film. And it's almost like you're reading The Hollywood Reporter. Yeah. And people are talking as if they are insiders doing this really in-depth, like, we're in, as if we're on the inside track of Hollywood deal-making. But that defines Canada, right? Like, if anybody's talking about us or something that happened here outside of Canada, then that's awesome. Yay for us. We don't, But we don't cover that stuff except when it's happening at TIFF. 
Right. Because like the it, only part of it that's us is like, oh, they happen to make that deal at a Toronto bar. Exactly. And it reflects the possibility that Toronto will be the hub of some great creative explosion. Look, you know, um, this movie got picked up for $5 million. This movie got picked up by Netflix. Everybody knows who Netflix is, right? That got picked up here. Isn't that awesome? And is it? I don't know. I don't care. I mean, I'm going to see the movie. That's yeah. what matters to me. Any film getting distribution is a net positive. Because it means people will see the movie outside of the festival circuit. And if a film festival exists to launch movies, then yes, a film getting distribution out of that festival is a net good. However, yeah. Well, which is of quite a bit of interest. Well, who cares? The film press cares. Sure. But beyond that, you're right. I mean, I don't think it should be front page news necessarily. But it is. It's really strange. Like, we'll see front page of a national Canadian newspaper given over to a film opening. Mm If it's TIFF. Well, if it's a specific superstar that is... Right. So it's like you'll you'll see George Clooney on the red carpet at a premiere. And if that were to happen at Cannes, we wouldn't put that on the front page of the National Post. We would if it was a Canadian, though. If if Xavier Dolan wins a prize at Cannes, he'll be on the front page of every newspaper. Well, that makes more sense. Well, the question is always the same. Can we take credit for it? Can we somehow own this? Can that we? Is, I, I, they certainly think they can. Xavier Dolan, you can. But Xavier George Dolan, Clooney, well, Xavier Dolan will take credit for himself. Thank okay. you very much. But George Clooney opening a movie in Toronto and us putting it on the front page of paper and, and our relationship to it, why this is suddenly superseding any other news in Canada is simply that that took place in Toronto. Right. And, and, and assuming probably... that's of interest to a reader in Edmonton or in Halifax, yeah. like, oh, wow, that happened in Toronto? But uh, you know what it is? More. It basically boils down to, and I can't speak specifically to the front page editors because I've never been one or known many, but people know this person. Let's put this person on the front so they'll look at the person. I mean, it really is that simple. There are only five or six people who will show up on a front page at Toronto, right? Like it'll be this year I'm thinking George Clooney, Jennifer Lawrence, Angelina Jolie, Jessica Chastain, maybe. Isn't that like the worst part of Canadianness? Is like 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 the small town newspaper that's like, gosh, look who showed up here yesterday, and like kind the fact of. that they just were there is news. Sure, I mean, yeah, but I mean, like, also, when do you grow out of that? Like, oh, yeah, nev- people come here. Like, it's we're a real place. We'll never people... grow. We'll never grow out of that ever. But people... you, you said something earlier that, that that suggests even higher stakes. That that uh, that the the fact that the deal happened to play, take place in Toronto suggests that maybe we would be a hub that is more than just a setting for this, but that we would somehow be a part of this creative explosion. Sure. That's what we all want, right? But is that a, a rational desire? Is, is that a rational conclusion to make from the fact that we're basically just like, you know, we're hosting this? Yeah, but there's nothing rational about aspiration. Right. Um, you know, we, we are a hub of production. Toronto does great work uh, in terms of film and television. Does that have anything to do with TIFF, though? Sometimes. I mean, I Alias, guess Alias Grace was made here and we, we got to premiere it. And uh, and some of the features are really really strong this year. I, I have to say, if you know, if you're doing this as a litmus test of what Canada is producing, it's been a good year. It's weird that none of the quote unquote major filmmakers are represented. Uh, you know, Villeneuve is off making Blade Runner. We didn't get that, which a lot of people thought was coming, but I don't think it matters. Um, we didn't get a Cronenberg. We didn't get a Nagoyan. We didn't get Xavier Dolan's new film. Um, a lot of the. Uh, Jean-Marc Vallée made Big Little Lies, which was on TV, so it's not a movie. Well, we got Sarah Pauly. So. We got Sarah Pauly's There's production. There's like a list of but, six, and I guess you want to have one per year or something. Well, right? but it's just the way the timing works, right? Like everybody, this is the biggest problem that people forget. The constant ebb and flow of the festival sucks this year, the festival's great this year. You can argue with it on mechanical terms. Like this year, I almost punched somebody who was telling me how to walk up a flight of stairs because get out of my way. Like, it really is that simple. I'm an adult man. I can walk up a flight of stairs myself. You don't need to tell me how to do, how to hold the handrail. Yeah. And that is incredibly annoying. But in terms of the quality of the films, we're always subject to the quality of the films. It's a weird 
tautology. If there are no good movies, we're not going to launch good movies that year. If mm-hmm. people aren't working this year or people are off this year working on something else, we're not going to have the lineup as stellar as you would think. And sometimes you get something like Suburbicon, which, you know, we've screened. I think we've screened all of George Clooney's film. No, we didn't have Leatherheads. Uh, but this one's bad. And people have to deal with that, that George Clooney did not make a good movie this time. Does that happen a lot where like something is like position, it's got the AAA list star? All the time. You think it's, it's going to be an Oscar contender and then you're like, oh, you're the first to know. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. But you're also the first to know that, that a risky movie is great. Yeah. And again, I come back to Aronofsky's Mother, which I think was scheduled to open today, right? The 15th. Because it was coming right off the film festival circuit and because it's an incredibly tricky film and it... If you kept it on a shelf for Christmas, it wouldn't have the impact that it does because the less you know about it, the better. And if it plays at a festival in September and then opens three months later, people will have talked about it. Now, too, that's the other thing you're dealing with, the constant... It's not even a feedback loop. It's just a wall of social media and instant reactions. I have to, you know, I see a movie, I have to immediately compose a 140-character opinion of it. Mm-hmm. And I've done that, what, 60 times. It's exhausting. You run, out of, you run out of words that you haven't used before. And the quality of criticism suffers if you have to turn something around instantaneously, especially if it's a film that you want to sit with you. What would you change with a festival if you could? I would widen it. I would have more venues. I would let people move around more and not just to Festival Street. I would try to maybe not be more inclusive necessarily because I think it's big enough as it is. Uh, And by inclusive, I mean which films you book and how many films you offer. I would probably try to make it the accessible public festival that it used to be. But I also acknowledge that in this day and age, that's impossible. The price point, is unsustainable, I think, as it is now. But I don't know how you fix that other than eliminating galas and special presentations entirely so you're not booking the Roy Thompson Hall. I mean, I don't know how you combat the idea that a celebration of cinema needs to be a red carpet event. Just, you know, do you cut red carpets entirely? No, because then people won't show up. The entertainment press is collected here for a week. You want to take advantage of it. But what ends up happening when you focus on galas and red carpets, I mean, look at every Tiff Sizzle reel. It's people making speeches and people on the red carpet with those handful of really, really famous people that were here last year. And what you've done that way by highlighting the red carpets, you have led people to realize that they don't need to see the movies. They can just show up and watch the famous people do the red carpet. Tom Hanks was complaining about the red carpets one year. I think it was for Cloud Atlas, which was unfortunate. But uh, he was saying, like, it's a zoo out there and you were just shoved through like cattle. It's like, yeah, you are. That's what the festival has become. It's a petting zoo for celebrity. You're smiling as you say that. I mean, I'm so tired. Is that a good thing? Like, <laughs> I'm so tired. Like it's it's um, kind of the worst of American excess in a way. And like one nice thing about us is that maybe we don't actually worship at that altar. And and, and yet mm. here we are. Well, just, my friend Natalie Atkinson was just saying that she was thinking that the, the peak red carpet would have been lining up roughly with peak Kardashian and peak reality television. Yeah. And maybe that was just where the culture was going and Tiff was a hostage to it. But I think it's also how you tell people if you come to our film festival, you might meet a famous person. And that's the selling, that's been the selling point for a very long time. A, I mean, sell, a selling point for a charity that's publicly funded. Well, and if this does make it possible to restore Canadian cinema and do the things that Tiff Cinematheque claims they want to do, 
then great. But I don't want to settle for another summer in Europe plan. Yeah. Which is I mean, become, dude, you've been doing this for 30 years. Yeah, Canadian seen, cinema, like I think they've been trying to get overall box office for Canadians to watch Canadian cinema up to like 2%. Yeah, but that's and, not- And they haven't been able to do it. Yeah, that's not TIFF's fault. I mean, that's- No, a, but I mean, like, that's can a, we lose the idea that this is somehow like some weird scheme through which we fuel Canadian cinema? See, I want to believe that the temple is possible, that you can build a place where people will come to celebrate Canadian cinema as easily as they'll come to celebrate American cinema. There are great movies being made here right now, and I hate that I sound like a booster, but trust me, we're in a good period, and I'm seeing all of it. They cordoned off King Street, a public street. And they sell it to corporate sponsors. I know. That's awful. I hate Festival Street. Uh, and and this is sold to us because it's going to be good for Canadian cinema. Right. No, they, it's they, good for local they, they businesses. They divert the streetcars. Yeah. And, they, and the TTC says don't do this in a city that's crippled yeah. where our transit system is just not working. Oh, I live at college in uh, Bathurst. Everything's on diversion. Has been all month or for weeks now. Like the Dundas and college cars are, I'm getting buses in some direction. No. like the, the And we're supposed to buy this because it's good for Canadian culture or something. But and, and, and every argument. And consider ourselves lucky to get like a $35 ticket to see a movie that either shouldn't be released or will be released in yeah days. or is really great and this might be your only chance to see it i don't know if uh xavier legrand's custody is ever going to open it's one of the best films i've seen this year do you think that something's going to give there's uh a lot of talk about why pierce handling stepped down i think pierce was supposed to step down 10 years ago wasn't he i mean he's been collecting his three hundred thousand dollar plus salary for the past 10 years? Or? Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean- It's on the sunshine. It's, it's public information. Oh, I'm, no, I'm sure. I don't know that that's his motivation. I'm sure it doesn't matter. Oh, oh, I'm, but, I'm uh, not suggesting that it was, yeah. but if he was opposed to- uh, Well, I mean, when Cameron Bailey joined as as the, I think it was artistic co-director. I don't remember the exact job title when he joined in, officially in that capacity in 2009, no, 2008. The assumption was that they were sharing duties for a short time for transition and then Pierce oh, would step down. Uh-huh. And- I guess he didn't. I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I, I'm not privy to the conversations, and I don't want to be because ultimately my job is to watch the movies and relate that feeling to people. I I, I know it sounds like a dodge, but, but I've I never been you, an industry can, reporter. All right. I uh, and you don't write about the deals or who who inked this. You're, no. You're, I mean, sometimes I will retweet something and say yay. Because you're happy because it's a good movie and it deserves to because be because you're you're in dialogue with with the stuff with the cinema. I'm yeah, I'm constantly aware of what's going on. But you are in front of me, a member of a small community, which sure. is the Toronto film world is is small, and the Toronto film journalism world is tiny and shrinking. Oh yeah, there's like eight of us. TIFF is a big, big presence. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody in that world can afford to be you know on the outs with TIFF. I don't know. I mean, I've. <sighs> Do you feel well, like I'm thinking like Bruce Kirkland? Do you feel like like like, like uh, is it uncomfortable? Like, is do you have to be a bit careful? No, no, no. I'm 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 too tired to be thinking clearly. <laughs> if uh, if I was going to break any news, it would have broken by now. No, uh, I I don't think so. Bruce Kirkland wrote about the. I, it was beautiful. He wrote about the lightbox and said that in 2010 when it opened and said, "Do we really need an edifice complex uh, out of this corporation?" And it's a great line. And he wrote it in the Toronto Sun, and I'm sure it was picked up nationally. Uh-huh. And he's he was you know we don't. They can be mad at us. I get, you know, I get angry letters from directors every now and then, but the festival itself, I think they're too big to really care. And that's the other problem. Mm -hmm. They have grown to the size where any decision they make can be justified by at least five other people in the room because they have enough people in the room to get to that thing. And just as I'm experiencing my own cloistered bubble experience of the festival, I'm sure running TIFF is the same. I mean, it's the only reason they run every year those European movies in the summer which they don't realize are only appealing to the same audience over and over and over again we've had conversations about it and they just keep coming back to well 
we like them. They're, you know, it's summer and nobody goes to see movies anyway. We're offering the movies that we want to see. And I yeah. kind of get that. And again, you know, I, at Christmas, there'll be the 70 millimeter film festival that they have. And that's wonderful because these are movies that you don't get to see in that quality, in that scale, 2001 and Lawrence of Arabia and Spartacus, I'm sure will be there. All these beautiful restorations. That's what they do. They offer greatest hits, but they also offer an opportunity to launch new things, to see new things. You know, Norm, I, talking to you, like I just feel like I want to abandon my entire position here because, like, <laughs> I'm a pool of mercury. Well, it's like I'm coming coming with a lot of uh, skepticism and like this curmudgeonly attitude to somebody who has spent like the last way week too long. Yep. watching movie after movie after movie, and yet you're still just filled with energy and and uh, and um, just the, like a, like a fan's excitement. Yeah, well, part of it is that I'm medium, been... and like I, I, I kind of just want to like like, hey, I'm happy to just come around to your side of this. The, the only thing that's kind of preventing it, I can't reconcile. Like the most compelling thing that you keep keep coming back to is whatever else you want to say about this, it's still a place to see that great movie that you might never otherwise have a yeah. chance of seeing. And if you see you can, it Yeah, if you can theater. get the ticket, if you can get in, that's yeah. the other problem. But and if that is the greatest good of TIFF, it feels like like it's completely lost in everything else. You know, civic hazard, right. celebrity spectacle, like Media that's white not noise, what the festival it. is in any of its like larger manifestations. Like, like that's just some small subsection of the festival. And I suspect that this is the essential contradiction of the festival being a Canadian film festival. The minute that anybody started talking about us outside of Toronto, we went batshit. We went crazy for it. And by we, I mean the city, myself included, probably, because look. We have famous people coming here. Look, we're being acknowledged. That's the root of the Canadian identity. Look, someone's talking about us. So once that started with TIFF, it metastasized. There was no way to stop it because yeah. the city starts pouring money into it. The city realizes government, uh, municipality, whatever whatever part of that culture ministry becomes sheer boosterism. That's when it started. I think what that's can why it we do for you? So much oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, essentially prioritizing what the world thinks of you over what you are and what you think yourself, which is essential to a Canadian thing that drives me nuts. It is the sole distinguishing feature of the... Well, that and plus we're not Americans. But the... <laughs> yeah, no, our... our <laughs> and yet you smile still. Well, I, mean, I am. Like, like, maybe we could not be that. I'm know. a dual citizen. Yeah. I can get away with it. Uh, no, realistically, yeah, I think that's the problem. I think once we started feeding it... Yeah. It kept coming back yeah. and it kept asking for more. And so, hey, let's block off the street so L'Oreal can set up a booth. And so the restaurant patios can extend their patios so that people can sit there and hope they're going to see George Clooney, even though we also have a deal with, I think it's Cadillac, that their cars are going to ferry people from venue oh to venue. God. So the, the rubes don't know they'll never see George Clooney walking by unless George Clooney goes out himself. And he won't do that because he's got minders that keep him on his schedule. Yeah. It, it became this thing. And we fed it, and now it thinks it's this thing that has grown up into the into a new thing. And that's the problem that I keep trying to reconcile myself. I don't know if it's an institutional issue or if it's just, you know, we were we started up at the bottom and now we're here, right? That's that's their whole myth is we started as a festival that didn't have original content, and now people come to us. So let them. We will welcome them. We will show them. We will give them extra time on the red carpet with the citizens of Toronto who so badly want to see and touch them. The citizens who so badly want to see and touch them. That's how this works. I would love it if we were like, like, how about that for our national identity? Like, we don't get <laughs> down on our knees and grovel to like kiss George Clooney's toes or try to look up his date skirt. Like, maybe, never, maybe that's the people we are. You know, never gonna happen. Norm Wilner, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
That is your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read the emails that you send me. I respond to them when I can. Speaking of festivals, we have this thing called the Hot Docs Podcast Festival. No, it is not a ripoff of some greater original American festival. It is its own kind of thing. I don't know anywhere in the world that has a festival quite like this. It is all of your favorite podcasts from all over the world, including a lot of Canadian ones, doing stage performances of their shows and doing really interesting stuff that you won't see elsewhere. It is a real celebration of this burgeoning form of podcasting. And we are closing the festival this year. Google Hot Docs Podcast Festival and you'll find tickets. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com, but if you want to get our news stories, the best way, if you use Facebook, is to like us on Facebook and then our news stories will show up on your Facebook newsfeed. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The producer of this show is Kevin Sexton. Syndication of this show is provided by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us on Patreon.